Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Kinky Boys podcast in 2022. I hope you've all had a good new year, and I am pleased to announce for our first episode of the year, we have an amazing one. We have Slave Phil on to talk about uh, being a slave 24-7. He is amazing, eloquent, and the conversation goes into areas I did not expect, and it is shaping up to be awesome. So before we get on with the interview, I would just like to take the time to thank our patrons. So our daddy's favourite tier, Banjo Stewie, Nick Bain, Adam Ferris, Connor Bone, Deco Verry, Brian C, and Harry Hypnotist. You are all daddy's favourites. We've also got some exciting news for our patrons. Anyone on the good boy tier, that's £5 a month, will now be getting bonus episodes each month. We are so excited about this. We've got some great episodes in the works. They're not going to be the Kink 101. All that's going to be kept on the free tier. This one will be discussions and deeper topics related to kink, and I'm so excited. We're already recording one about kink as anthropology and study of the kinky queer community. Uh, we're talking about troubleshooting bottoming. We're doing one on like ideal scenes and how to get the most out of your scenes. I think these are going to be amazing. So if you want to be part of that, just join up on our £5 uh, good boy tier and you'll get all of that from this month. Signing up on any tier would help me out a bunch. And for our first 50 patrons, we are doing a giveaway raffle of any of our merch for free. So check out our Patreon today. It would really, really help us out. Thank you. Now with that being done, on with our interview. Hello! And welcome again to the Kinky Boys podcast. And this month, uh, I'm joined by Buster, my co-host. Hello. And we are interviewing Slave Phil. Slave Phil will be talking to us about slavery as a lifestyle and being in a 24-7 dynamic. So, hello, Phil. Hello, everyone. Really nice to be here. It's great to have you on. Uh, Thank you. So, people may not know, you do your own podcast, the Master Slave Lifestyle podcast? That's correct. Yes. And yeah, so I met you back when you lived in London before you moved to Berlin. Yes, it was in Compton's, I think, at a leather social. Yes, yes. And... A leather social. <laughs> Earning its keep. Yes, definitely. I've met so many good people through there. But yeah, so today we're here to talk to you about being like a 24-7 slave and slavery as a lifestyle. So what what does that mean to you? For me, so... I've had these feelings from since I was four years old. So kind of playing paradynamic games with people, you know, where I was the submissive. And Mm -hmm. then as I grew older, these kind of feelings didn't really go. And I think it was the second day I had the internet and I did some (laughs) searches on Yahoo as Google didn't exist then. And I found this um, website and it was the doghouse.org, which I think no longer is about and I suddenly realized I was not alone with these feelings and had this idea of master slave and this started what's turned to be a 20-year journey within the master slave lifestyle and unusually for a lot of people on the scene I want to live this as a life you know I want my Mm -hmm. full-time relationship to be a master slave lifestyle you know where I'm giving up control to this person and this is like mind body soul and they're helping me to be the best that I can be and they're controlling me but I'm also serving them and trying to make their life Mm -hmm. the best it can be as well 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's the big thing is most submissive people have those sorts of feelings and urges, but most of the time they can't maintain that for any real length of time. It has to be a scene thing. Because I know lots of people, when they first out, start out, that's what they think they want. They try it and they just find they can't maintain it for too long. But you, I've seen you, I've seen your dynamics. You are someone who definitely can. Thank you. And that's, that's really nice feedback to get. I, I mean, for me, I think it's partly an innate part of me. As I was thinking about how to kind of talk in this, I kind of realized that, for instance, when I looked at the doghouse, my instinctive thing was like, this is how I want to live my life. And it didn't occur to me that other people would not want to do that as well. You know, and it was quite a bit later when I was in my 30s after a bit of a traumatic experience and I was really reflecting what it was I wanted. I suddenly was like, no, you are really looking for the lifestyle and a lot of people are not. So you need to start finding people that are also looking for the lifestyle. And say, so, go on. Oh, I was going to say, you, you talk about the, the doghouse. What, what did you see on the doghouse that really like drew you in? Well, it was into having the internet, you pervert. <laughs> well, it was it was this idea that one, there were people giving up control, but you know, the doghouse in particular it was you know being trained as a dog, so it wasn't just control, but this idea of transformation, and this is always something that's been really big for me. You know, I work as a coach in my real life. I like to do bodybuilding and I want to be transformed into something other than than human while still being loved. And so this idea of transformation and this sort of control that comes with that was an incredible turn on for a 17-year-old boy. You know, I think it was the first time I actually came without touching myself. You know, oh, it was wow. that much of a turn on. It was just like, wow. I've seen a lot of people who really have this thread of transformation underlying their kinks and power dynamic. It's the idea of someone else changing you or shaping you or guiding you essentially to their needs, which is at the heart of what a lot of people find the big attraction is. Yes, I think that's kind of key and as I started to go more and as I started to do mm -hmm. my own writing on Master Slave Lifestyle mm -hmm. and kind of do the interviews with the master, I suddenly realized it's actually even deeper than that. To actually want to do this lifestyle, to be a master and slave, it's not just, let's say, the transformation of being mm -hmm. shaped by someone. It's about growth and reflection and both master and slave or any other title someone wants to give it need to embark on this journey of growth and this journey of reflection. And the only way you can do this life is actually by growth and reflection. And people that come to this life to not grow, to remain fixed, will always fail at it mm -hmm. because it gives experiences, some that you want, some that you might not want, that you need to grow and learn from and takes you in very unexpected directions. Yeah, that... That's uh, quite interesting because I've seen a lot of that. It's interesting that you've said about some people do it to try and stay stagnant. And I can kind of see that I have met people where they're very desperate for like a full on 24 seven master power dynamic, essentially as a way to escape the world. 
Yes. Whereas it sounds, and that never works out well for them, but it sounds like you really do it as a way to grow and push yourself. I mean, I've gone through that trap as well, you know, that this idea of trying to escape and it hasn't worked. In 2012, I kind of was serving someone who was not good for me and Mm -hmm. someone that was actually very bad on in the scene. And I had to really heal and recover from that. But right after it, I was still trying to serve people, still trying to escape. Mm And I actually was going into a very intense situation which involved caging. And what was really strange is that when you go into the caging, you're stuck with no one but yourself. So just to be clear for the audience, caging is where you are literally put in a cage? Yes. You know, you might be locked in the cage. A body cage, not a chastity cage. Yes, a body cage, you know. Or you might be putting some sort of bondage, but you're literally stuck with yourself. And you're stuck Mm -hmm. with all your own thoughts all your own feelings and any of the issues that you bring with you. And of course, after this quite traumatic thing, I brought all of that with me and it was an awful experience. And in the end I had to be let out. And that was what really made me realize you cannot escape. You know that you need to do your own work to heal yourself. There might be people you have relationships with, be it master, boyfriend, or just friends that help Mm -hmm. you on that journey. But you have to do a lot of the heavy work yourself, you know, and you know, you cannot escape, you know, from these things. And we might think a master can help us or save us, but actually it's you. And a master can open doors or guide you a bit on the path, but you have to walk it. And this is also the same for the master. You know, the master also needs to do a very similar thing. Yeah. I think there's some really interesting links here with some of the current research around working with psilocybin, which is a component of magic mushrooms, which is being shown at the moment. Really good effects with people who've had traumatic experiences, providing that it's taken in like a guided way rather than like it, providing somebody's in a safe environment so they don't have a bad trip. Mm-hmm. And I found that putting people in or putting one person in particular into into storage, get on a straitjacket, put them in a cupboard and keep them there for five hours, providing that, 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 that you can have an effective debrief afterwards. It's an amazing time to focus. Like it's an opportunity for so many subs to be able to process a lot of the stuff that gets put down, shoved down, but knowing that, this is a safe experience that there is going to be a debrief afterwards can be an immensely powerful thing. Mm -hmm. And I think that's true of a lot of, let's say power dynamics. So we're kind of talking about the caging or the bondage of one, but just going on an experience, which takes you to a new level of submission that opens a new part of you. This can really kind of bring you to new places, but it also really can bring other things up as well you know, with you. And there can be this sort of, you know, experience that allows you to find yourself through these very intense experiences. I remember once being in some bondage with a master. And as I was in this for a long time, I suddenly had this thought that came up and it was a master I'd been seeing in Berlin. It was like, oh my God, I really love him. You know, and Mm -hmm. it was through this experience that I was trying not to admit this to myself at the time. And then it was like, okay, I think he might be the one. (laughs) (laughs) I love that that, that subs get that are able to have that kind of experience where 
kind of like this self-denial almost and, and Dom's job in that situation is to gently guide them towards the truth rather than mm-hmm. slapping them up the backside of the head and screaming it in their face it's like this gentle guidance of being able to help somebody to achieve that and and, and to some degree kind of to bring a Dom perspective to this you say that there's you you can't do this if you're if if you're looking to stay still, you have to be able to willing to progress and kind of in those cage situations, an onus on the dom in those situations to understand the power of what they're enacting in that sub. Like if you're if you're putting somebody into a cage or putting somebody into storage for a long period of time, you know that they're going to be alone with their thoughts, and you have to be able to accept responsibility for that. I think one of those key things with that, that really strikes me about the 24-7 lifestyle is an element of responsibility. Like the sub takes responsibility. Like if a sub is trying to abdicate responsibility, things will go badly wrong. Because me as a dom, I don't want a sub who's just a doormat. I want a sub with a personality. And... The, uh, the, 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 if a sub is willing to put in the effort, I'm willing to put in the effort, and that's where great things come from. Exactly. Uh, I think it's you know it's very simple. It's it's both. It's that both sides need to fulfil each other's needs, and mm. it's a symbiotic and mutual thing. You know, so it's easy to think as the slave, I don't need to do anything. I just follow <laughs> orders. But actually, you need to understand the master's needs as well as he needs to understand yours. And how can you mutually fulfill each other's needs? And with slavery, you also got this idea of service. So how can I make my master happy? Mm-hmm. What are the things that he wants, he needs? And this can be in a sexual way, if it's more play, but it can be as simple as how would he like to have his shirt folded? You know, yeah. uh, and there's that old adage of a, 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 a good sub obeys and an excellent sub anticipates. Yes, yes, should be out. Uh, it's something that I always feel like if I'm talking to somebody on recon or like chatting mm-hmm. on Telegram or whatever with somebody who's less experienced, and like the the more experienced I get, the, the less I end up talking to people who are less experienced, not necessarily through ch- my choice, but through perception. But it always seems to be I have to drill into people. No, whatever. If I go, what are you into? The answer is not whatever you like, master. Like that's that 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 shows like this this lack of agency and this two way relationship that's really really important. From from your perspective, Phil, how do you separate out that? desire to serve and also maintain your own identity in that kind of situation oh i think that's still a struggle you know there's still a part of me that can have that nihilistic urge Mm -hmm. to completely give myself over to someone else you know and in some ways like it was neither of our faults but i broke up with my master that i moved to berlin for now five years ago and I would say a lot of my five years has been figuring that out to integrate myself a bit more mm-hmm. and go, what are my needs? And it's almost been an interesting journey of re-finding stuff out. Oh, yeah, I'm actually quite a central person. Yeah, I like bondage. I like this being transformed into an animal because I gave up on so much of that just in the act of service for the master. Mm-hmm. You know, and part of that was seeing some people that weren't as healthy for me as well, which was like, do not ever talk about your needs. It's just about my needs. 
And I did need some of that because I was so egocentric, but they took it a bit too far. And so it's always this balance of, yeah, it's not all about me when I'm the slave, but I also need to know what are my needs that must be fulfilled rather than what are my wants and Mm. what are my boundaries and be very clear about what the boundaries are. But of course, if you're beginning or even an intermediate and you're suddenly deciding to go into 24-7, you might not know what the boundaries are. So you need to set up experiences Mm -hmm. and experiments to figure that out. Yeah. And make sure that you have healthy people that don't tell your boundaries or limits are wrong. Yeah. So if we could dive into this, because in the show, we always try and go to explore safety as one of the major themes. So say someone wants to get into 24-7, they're trying to find a partner for it. What red flags do they need to look out for? So I think one of the very clear ones especially when it comes to 24 7 is watch out for psychopathic behavior or psychopath (laughs) in general there are a lot more within the 24 7 scene than i think is Mm -hmm. in any research and stuff because i've come across so many of them and one of the key things here is taking your time in building up a relationship and is what they say integral with how they behave because people can say certain things about what they need or want or what Mm -hmm. sort of person they are. And over time, they might act very differently. It's also that, especially someone who's engaging in psychopathic behavior will lay out a trail of breadcrumbs for you to follow. And at a certain point, you just so want to serve them that you might not notice what's going on, but their behavior will be changing at the same time. And you should really go, is this healthy or not? So I I think that's one of the big things, like really understanding is their behavior and what they say the same. Make sure that you have someone that has the right value set as you. So for me, truth and honesty are very important. But there was someone I was starting to serve and they said, yeah, I always want the slave to be open and honest with me. But when I was, they used to get very angry. And clearly, Mm -hmm. although that's what they would like to be, that was not where, not yeah. where they were at that point, but they didn't have enough humility to see that and kept on blaming me for it. Mm-hmm. I think another important thing is, let's say, indifference or apathy. So there can be people that just want a slave to make their life easier, but they will not want to put any work into that. So they don't want to fulfill the slave's needs at all. Mm -hmm. They might not even care about the health. So if if I go back pre-training trail, for instance, I did have a partner and it started off as a master slave and then turned into a partnership. But it was all about his needs and none of mine in the end were fulfilled. And this even came true to health as well, that it was like, what, I have to go and get your medication? This is really inconvenient. You Mm. know, so you need to kind of look and make sure is someone going to fulfill your needs even if it's just some very like say strict slave needs they still need to be fulfilled and there are some people that just would not want to do that let me just see i wrote some stuff down for this let's see if there's anything else just on the topic of psychopathic behavior i think it's worthwhile kind of digging mm-hmm. in a little bit because there are a few kind of really key traits that can be incredibly alluring for subs like the, the degree of confidence that comes from pathological lying or yeah. having empathy that can can give one an incredible sense of confidence because actually there are a lot less variables in any mm-hmm. given situation for you to have doubt about 
but it's it's one of those things that I see it shot through the scene where people have this incredible radiating confidence and a lot of subs then are drawn to that but actually it's it's one of the 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 biggest kind of issues there when you start digging and you realize what's going on underneath the surface yeah more in general like not just with psychopaths but with if somebody think we've all had the joke of anyone who says that they have no limits haven't understand haven't understood the question like that everyone has limits but it just tells me you don't understand yourself and the same works with doms very much and i think also narcissism is a very mm-hmm. kind of key mm-hmm. trait in the psychopathy and you know need to watch out for that a lack yeah. of empathy as well mm-hmm. i've got a high degree of empathy and so mm-hmm. at first if there's someone i couldn't really connect to from that empathy energy point of view they were a mystery and that made them quite exotic and some to find out more about now i've learned to kind of run away it's not yeah. you know it's a psychopath do not go near them Mm. The, 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 there's a fine line from a Dom perspective to tread between playing the game, which is I, I'm playing a role as a Dom and we're already playing from when we're first talking, we're playing, but equally being able to say, hey, at any point you can stop and say no. Like, let's just touch base and rem- remind you that consent exists and remind you yeah. that you, I don't own you and remind you that you have an out at any time. That yeah, with that 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 kind of lack of empathy, that they just don't touch base on that, and then this kind of uh, the, the the classic trait of like delusions of grandeur when they think that they're so much more important than they are. We've all been contacted by that guy on Recon who goes, "Oh, you looked at my profile, therefore I own you now. You will address me as Master, Lord, God, whatever it is, mm-hmm. in all caps and." Yeah, it, 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 I used to think it was it was a parody until this guy actually contacted me, <laughs> and it was like, oh no, the, this guy is oh, genuinely yeah. this unbalanced. Yeah. I'd also add another thing, which isn't necessarily in the realm of psychopaths, but there can be a lot of people that think being a master means to cut someone down, to make them feel small, to really you know almost acting in an adversarial way straight away any question you ask mm-hmm. is stupid why are you doing this you know whereas a good master is someone that will take their time they will you know they will sort of open doors to you they want to help you be the best that you can be and there can be a lot of people that are just cutting you down to size and stuff. And I do think a good question for people to ask one as a slave is, is it worth spending time with this person? Because they're just making me feel small and bad. But also as, you know, if you're a potential master, don't fall into that trap. You know, your role is as a guide and as a facilitator. Mm. It is a guide and facilitator to take control of someone, but in a mutual way. And you need to figure out the path of doing that because it's easy to act like an arrogant little shit. Anyone <laughs> do it. That doesn't make you a master. The hard thing is how do you work as a, a coach and a guide to get someone to open up to you mm-hmm. in a way that would never normally happen in a traditional relationship or a mainstream relationship? I think know? one of the easiest signs to, to spot around that is if somebody's not asking questions. Because like, if I am going to reach like, I love nothing more than to have a guy bumbling, 
unable to speak properly, tripping over his words, blushing bright red, his, his chastity cage bulging, like completely falling to bits emotionally in front of me. But in order to get that, like I have to know that person's mind. I have to be able to push those buttons. I have to work out. And a lot of these times, I think doms are scared to ask questions because they feel like, oh, so I, I'm giving you away control. But actually, it's it, 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 if you can set your insecurity to one side for a second and say, right, okay, let me understand the situation. Because if I understand the situation, I can, I can put my influence i can put my toxic like my charisma as it were into every last corner of that situation and i can just be a bigger presence for this sub who wants me to almost like cover every aspect of the world they 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 want me present in every aspect of their life they want to be horny 24 7 well, I need to understand their work life and what's appropriate. I need to understand their home situation. I need to understand the layout of their home so that I know that if they're in the bathroom, can they reasonably do something humiliating and get through to the bedroom without being seen by their flatmates? Like This requires that you have an inquisitive mind as a dom. And I think that far too many doms are like just closed off. They're not, they're not interested. They're not inquisitive. Because they feel like it's just not like this is not their concern, but it's a hundred percent their concern. And if you have fun with the sub, you need to take responsibility for the consequences of that and deliver aftercare effectively. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, one of the the key themes I feel like is growing is there's this contrast between sort of the hot scene idea people have in their heads. And like the work and interest that actually happens in the real world. And they're kind of opposed to one another because, you know, in porn stories where you have the 24 seven, it is the slave being belittled and just their world revolving around the master without question. And that being reinforced with punishment violence, if they step out of line and you never see in those stories, the sort of growth curiosity that you need from a real master in the real world. And it's like there's this big conflict of what is presented and what is actually needed. I think, for instance, this this is where my podcast is coming. So I interview mm-hmm. real life master slave couples who have been in relationships for like fifteen mm-hmm. years, twenty years, and you start to see these common threads which break away from that from that stereotype or the myth mm-hmm. that you can see in porn on Twitter. I've actually been doing a lot of research over the last several weeks about what's the archetypal good master mm-hmm. and what is the bad master, and I could share that if that would be be useful. Yeah, sure. Um, That'd be great. Um, so, so the way I kind of split it is that let's say you've got the good or light master mm-hmm. and then you have the shadow master. Mm-hmm. And there's also, let's say, the bright slave and the shadow slave, but I haven't done enough research mm-hmm. to talk on this in, in as much detail. But rather than the master, it's this idea of the heart-shaped king, the heart-centered king, sorry. Mm-hmm. And the heart-centered king is someone that knows their mission, knows their purpose, that they will kind of grow 
their subjects or grow their slave to be the best Mm -hmm. they can be to completely fulfill their potential. They're good at transforming to bring the slave on that journey, that they will bless the slave, they will validate and reward him for Mm -hmm. the good things that he has done, be it for the service, what he's done out in the mainstream. You know that he has this energy to protect the slave and by protecting the slave will allow the slave to be completely vulnerable. Um, to him and has that empathy to connect and read the slave Mm -hmm. as Buster was saying now compare this to the shadow you know and the shadow master is the tyrant tries to destroy everything around him in order to keep power constantly scared or is the weakling you know someone that doesn't want to do anything and is doing this to escape from that path of growth rather than transforming they turn into a manipulator, manipulating for their own reasons, the reason and often without the other person knowing. And if they end up destroying the person, that it was fun doing it to and begin with. And to completely disconnect from the slave, to not have any empathy because it's just supposed to be a machine rather than an actual living person. You know, so a lot of what I talk about between that, let's say, light side and Mm. the shadow side is a lot to do with intent. And so anyone who wants to be a master or is a master, you've got to be aware of the shadow side as well, because it can be a quite compelling place. Even myself as a coach and a coach is all about transforming. You know, in the past, I have felt that call of that shadow side, Mm -hmm. you know, you need to be very careful that you're not acting from that place. Yeah, I think this comes back to the difference between doing this as a lifestyle and doing this as a scene. So much of like kink and BDSM scenes are essentially creating, we've said it time and again, a sandbox, a little box where you can explore the sort of shadow side of yourself. Like you talked about that sort of sense of wanting a sort of to have yourself annihilated and just be there to serve the dog, be an extension of the dog. In a scene, I can really see the appeal of that. But obviously outside that box, it becomes massively problematic and just destructive. And this is the thing is you can have scenes where you explore that and wall it off in a box to be like for safety. You can't do that in real life without causing yourself major damage. Yeah, exactly. And I think in real life, you're linking into that idea of integration. Yeah, You can have that really intense scene where you go to such a deep level, but you also need to give time for working or going to the shops as well to see your family. And it's how do you integrate all of that in a way that gives you a much deeper intensity that you could ever have in just a scene, Mm -hmm. but allows for all of the parts of the life to actually work. Yeah, I think it's always worth remembering as well that like every piece of media not just porn but every piece of media in the kink scene show that shadow side it shows the scenes it shows the power it shows the control good social media like big apostrophes there from people Mm -hmm. that know what i think about social media but good social media that that gets a reach is blank enough that the sub can put themselves in the in in the position of that slave and god knows how many pictures i've put out of treating my my subs like as plant pot 
holders and yeah. footrests and like just generic kind of like almost the sub who the sub is and the identity of the sub and the closeness of our relationship is is not in that post the hard work that we have to put in to develop and maintain that relationship is not in that post the aftercare is not in that post so everything that's on social media is is very much one-sided and you can't really look at that and say that's the life that I want to live. Yeah, and I think that so many subs come to. Well, I don't want to sound big-headed. So many subs come to me. I'm a dom. I'm supposed to be big-headed, mm. but I, I get subs coming to me, kind of looking for straight up, like I want to be owned. I want to be in a twenty-four-seven relationship. I've never had anything like this before. I have seen this stuff on social media, and I want that twenty-four-seven. And it comes across as like once again not really understanding the assignments. I think this is why you know experience and experimentation is so important you need to really experience things mm-hmm. to understand what it is you want I'm, I'm sort of writing a book about this at the moment and one of the metaphors i use is when you decide to have a non-mainstream life or even let's say i want to be mm-hmm. a 24 7 master slave there's infinite possibilities and how do you figure out which ones are the ones for you And so think of yourself in a space and you're holding a light up and all that's lit up is a little circle around you. You can't see anywhere further, but amongst that darkness is all of the possibilities you could do. And what you need to do is look at what's in front of you, what's in light and go, I want to do some experiments here. And that lights up a little bit more Mm -hmm. and then it lights up a little bit more and a little bit more. And through those experiences, you're lighting up your path and figuring out what it is you don't like and figuring out what it is that you like. And also sometimes the experiences you're not ready for yet, but you'll go back to at a later date. Yeah, that 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 rings very true to me. It's and there is this thing of growth through service which I find so fascinating and it can be so rewarding. And it's like, I've seen so many people, once they find the right master, like a good master that's genuinely um, interested in their growth and pushing them as a person, they go on to do amazing things in their life. They become far more confident just in general. They tend to have more self-love and they push themselves. They start doing things both in scene and in life that they wouldn't have done before. And it's a transformation and a push and a change in a very positive direction for them. Yeah, I I would agree with that. I think whenever I've been serving someone or under the consideration, I have flown in ways that I don't when I'm not serving someone. And that's part of the slave psychology. Somehow serving someone, everything becomes easier, even if Mm -hmm. you can't really put your finger on why. Yeah, it... It can be a very grounding thing. Like, that's the best way I can describe it. It's grounding. It it, it, it gives you st- a stability to have that vent of that need to serve and that need to please. Sort of, it gives you yeah. a singular focus which pulls you in and centers you. Yeah, the, that word center, I think, is very mm. important. I, I often say that when I'm unowned, I almost feel like I walk through the, the world slightly askew. Mm-hmm. 
and then when I'm with someone, I am centered, which is quite strange as I spent most of my life not owned. So I spent yeah. most of my life not centered, you know, and, but when you have it, it's just magic. Something just flows there, but it has to be with the right person and it has to have the right energy and connection. Yeah. So throughout this, when we've talked about, especially the language you use, you talked about shadow selves and stuff like that. That So this is where I reveal a bit about myself. So I'm pagan, very much into that. And one of the terms around the pagan community and spirituality is shadow work. And it's and again, it's to it's talk about integrating the darker parts of yourself and making yourself whole. And all this language you use has a very spiritual tint to it. Do you find like slavery as a lifestyle a very spiritual thing? Yes, very much. Let's go pre Trenny Twelve, and there mm-hmm. were certain people I would serve, and there was just something more that was occurring, you know. And it was almost like there was this energy in my heart. Mm-hmm. And then I went through this trauma, and everything was just closed down, and I didn't even have the words to describe what was happening to me. And to reopen myself and to learn how to serve again, because the call was so strong, I then had to go to a ju- through this journey to understand what was going on. And through that, let's say understanding the master-slave relationship and connection. And the way that I describe it for myself is it's a spiritual one. But of course, some people think spiritual about being religion. Mm-hmm. So if I kind of explain it in a different way, there's this energy. There's an energy between the dominant and submissive or the master or the slave. And that energy connects And then with that connection, you get something which is greater than between the two people. And this energy comes from inside you. So you could call it the body, you could call it the soul, you could call it the heart. And and for me, I was starting to do meditation because my therapist at the time was recommending it. Mm -hmm. And then I was doing a pain session. And at this time, I couldn't do pain particularly well because I was so closed. And I did this meditation called Loving Kindness. And suddenly went, oh my God, this is what I used to do without knowing what I was doing. Yeah. And from that, I was able to start to create some sort of framework where I could explicitly make it strong, a bit like exercising a muscle. Mm -hmm. But when you're talking about things about energy or emotion or the heart, you have to look at your own, let's say, shadow or darkness, Mm -hmm. the things that you have issues with, both master or slave, and go on these kind of paths to help heal yourself and become better and then from mm-hmm. that you can actually become stronger a- an interesting story i can give is so before i moved to berlin and i met my master you know i really kind of went on this amazing journey of opening mm-hmm. myself up and everything and then when the relationship came to an end everything fell down and i'd basically just taken one small part of myself and grown and developed it and when that crashed i had to go back to where all my other parts and my personality was and so over the last five years I've had to take all of those and grow Mm -hmm. them much more and again I'm able to do something so much powerful in my service than I was before you know and so so these times when you fall when you struggle and you might struggle more because of how you have and developed lead to new let's say revelations about yourself that allay that then mm-hmm. enable you to connect more and more to people i don't know if that makes sense so i went too off oh no no, no absolutely yeah. it made perfect sense to me it's 
Yeah, it's that sense of growth. My mind's ping-ponging back and forth, and it's going back to a comment Buster made earlier about how intense BDSM experiences can often seem like the same as a psilocybin trip. Now, this is something that interests me, which is like how properly guided, obviously you can't just do it, whatever, but properly guided and transcendental experiences can really open up yourself to parts that you've closed off and sort of show you where you're going wrong in your life. In this way, that's quite hard to describe, but it's sort of like all your, the defenses and excuses and all the grit that builds up in your mind just gets stripped away in these very intense experiences. And I can recognize that fully in going through them in like slave training, BDSM or kink scenes, where you're just, all your defenses have to come down and you're just left with what you need to process. Yeah, you can think of it almost like a hero's crest for anyone that reads Joseph Campbell. It Mm. relates to his hero journey. But uh, it's often said that when we die, you know, all of the materialism stuff breaks Mm -hmm. off and we're left with the core of what we have and the regrets or the connections or the things we didn't say. You can look at the journey of BDSM as as a hero's crest where we're stripped down to who we really are. Mm. And this can happen in just, you know, a connection with someone with a mass and they take you on this journey and you really start to explore who you are to depths that you haven't experienced. But in the greater sense of the journey of trying to find a master or slave, we can end up in some places that can be quite hard. Yeah, so the way you're talking about it sounds a bit like a crest or a hero's journey. And I I often think of, let's say, wanting the master-slave lifestyle, wanting a 24-7 master or slave, is a sort of a hero's journey, a crest, you know, and you're going on this journey. And this is going to be a journey of discovery about who you really are as well. They often say, you know, when we die, we're kind of stripped down to the very essence of who we are, not the materialistic goods we did, not the ego, but who we are underneath the really full personality of what we've accumulated over our lifetime. And in some ways, you can say that the journey of the master-slave lifestyle is very similar. It can strip us down to our Mm -hmm. core sometimes. This can be an an amazing consensual session, but it can be when things go wrong, you know, and you need the courage, the resilience. You need that growth and reflection to really understand who you are, to move past those moments. And, you know, I speak to a lot of slaves who have gone through these and I was like, understand how strong and courageous you really are. I I actually wrote something from a few years ago that I was actually sharing with someone today, which could be a good thing, you know, and I wrote this just after the year that I broke up with my mass and I was living in Berlin and had no friends. And I was wondering what the hell had just happened, you know, and it was, you know, it was the crucible in which I had to burn. And now as the fire is done and all is great and dark As I slowly come out of the ashes and dust, I will find out what I will become and who I will be. (laughs) So I'm getting a bit emotional there. Yeah, Um, it's incredible. And this is one of those kind of things that 
we go on experiences that are greater than ourselves. We go on these crests and we truly find out who we become. Part of the master slave journey is mm-hmm. discovering that for ourselves. <laughs> I think this is uh, such an interesting thing because like uh, coming from like I grew up with dom tendencies I've had dom tendencies basically all of my life but but like when I think about subs who grow up with submissive tendencies as guys like there's so much societal shame around that that in order to be able to enjoy your submission, you have to be able to disconnect from society's expectations. Of, the same to some degree as we talked about in the Velvet Rage about being a gay man in the world, that we have to be able to kind of let go of our parents' expectations for our lives and society's expectations for what our relationships might look like. And we have to largely reconcile with our with our fathers and we have to kind of go through this process to be the best gay men that we can be and it's the same from a submissive perspective that we have to be able to strip away that societally infused shit that's been poured on you from a young age to say you are bad and be able to love the Mm -hmm. moment and love oneself in the moment and from my perspective as a dom, like, and as a healthcare provider, it's like one moment I'm, I, I'm helping people who are in extreme pain. And the next moment I'm guiding somebody mm-hmm. into a position of extreme pain and going like, I used to feel like this is wrong. I'm just fucked up. Like, this is something inherently broken with me. I'll do it because I'm a broken individual, but as I've grown as a human being, being able to go, this is something that we have a mutually consensual relationship. We're checking in with each other. We're pushing each other to the extremes of what we're Mm -hmm. able to tolerate. Like the emotional state that I go into when I'm in a kind of like a dom headspace is, is sometimes kind of border. It's like standing on the edge of that cliff where you're just sort of like, the other side of that is arrogance and anger and pain and violence and and hatred and on this side of it it's i i'm i'm holding that line i'm stepping up i'm causing somebody pain and in it being in that space is immensely spiritual from a dom side as well it's immensely growing it forces one to grow it's sort of you know, how do you become your true authentic self? And that authentic self is beautiful, you know, and to see yourself as that beautiful self is a journey for a lot of us as gay Mm -hmm. men, you know, taking off that shame or that third coming out from the velvet rage. Mm. But you you also, I think, linked to this, I, I think two things. One is that, you know, we sort of dancing, with the darkness at times where because we're playing with these fast energies from that spirituality or the power connection there's almost this archetypal energy that i as a slave Mm -hmm. or you as a master can inhabit and that can take us to the cliff edge to the darkness and we're almost dancing with it if you've ever seen legend and this fantasy movie and she almost is dancing with the darkness and they're trying to sway her to go into the darkness and there's a beauty to it but we need to stay within the light we need to stay within the beauty but within that zone there's this almost creative destruction a bit like in hinduism Mm -hmm. you have shiva 
you know, but and <laughs> we sort of know him as Shiva the destroyer, but who he destroys to create. And we can be playing with this zone and it can be very beautiful and very amazing and very powerful when it's done right. Yeah. I think this is the deepest that oh, we've ever done, it. Craig. I love it. <laughs> the fisting, the fisting <laughs> went deeper. But uh, ha, ha, ha. So to, to kind of move on from this a little bit, kind of, I think on this show, we like to give lots of practical advice to people who are just getting started and, and to people who are exploring new spaces. Certainly, I, I've seen a lot of couples get together as dom sub couples or 27, 24-7 couples. And then it's like the pressure of living together and a level of parity that is required for joint decision-making kind of forces that energy, kind of everything just drops down to a low simmer. What are your experiences the best way of keeping the energy going in that? Yeah, so, so part of it is that resilience or strength, you know, that, you know, the rules that you've agreed to, to be a master slave, you must keep, you know. So I think it was the very first podcast interview and it was like, there's times I come home from work and the slave hasn't done something. I'm so tired, but I'll still rip him, you know, and it's kind of like, because that's how we keep the relationship as master slave. So you know, this is something in my role as the master I must do in order to keep that dynamic alive. So so part of it is understanding that certain structures and things within the master-slave relationship, and I use ripping as an example, mm. but it doesn't have to be pain, but these things that keep the dynamic alive, that keep that mindset there, the couple must work hard to allow that to stay. You know, but of course how intense or not is something that you also need to look at so let's say someone has died or there's a health issue then you need to recalibrate it around that while while trying to keep the essence of of what's there as you know so and this links back to that idea of, of integration you know when there's something big that's happened yes some things need to take a step back to allow that thing to be dealt with but then at the same time you need to kind of like allow it to to go back and i think the final thing is keeping it fresh you know so as you go on this journey with 24 7 you often want to go deeper it leads to new fetishes mm. and new directions so there needs to be the mechanisms in the relationship to allow that to happen you know and one of the ones i loved was this idea that every year they renegotiated the contract and the reason why they renegotiate their contract was like, what do we want mm -hmm. to do this year? What do you want to try? What do I want to do? What do you want to do? So it wasn't just the master dictating, you know, and it was like, well, I've really wanted to do scenes like this. So I've really wanted to go into this area. And that then allows the relationship to evolve and mm -hmm. develop, you know, so it doesn't stay stale because as you keep on doing the same thing after a while, it does get a bit stale, which is how you can then go into just normal partnership. Whereas by mm -hmm. keeping things fresh and talking about it and also looking for inspiration with other people and what they're doing, you can keep things going. Great. And just, I think that's a good point where we also talk about, so you talked about people like renegotiating and that sort of thing. I mean, what tools would you say there are to help people communicate while there's a power imbalance at play? 
So one of the things which I really like is this idea of porch time. So this is at any point someone can call porch time. And mm-hmm. the, imagine like an American house with a veranda. So you go out to the porch and you sit there. Mm-hmm. You go out to the relationship to talk about it. And this this is something that anyone can call at any time in order to deal with an issue. It's also just making sure that there are feedback kind of sessions so for instance i'm starting negotiations with a potential constellation of a master slave family you know and this is one of the key things how do we communicate and it would be like well you know at first we would keep it very frequent but then it would be less frequent but it would still be there you know so you want to kind of try and keep this sort of feedback loop where both sides can talk how they're feeling you know, and what's going on. Yeah, I I think it loops back to that thing of a master should be naturally curious and naturally engaged and want to know what's going on with their sub, which would, should naturally open up those lines of communication. But there is also a lot to be said for just building in times for communication. I've talked about this Before, my partner and I don't have a power dynamic, but we do have regularly scheduled what we call the boyfriend talks, where it's just where anything, whether it's big or small, you know, whether it's just you're not doing the dishes enough or if there's a bigger problem mounting, where we just know once a month we have that time where we sit down and they are to be discussed then. Yeah. I think the other important thing is how you communicate because quite often it'd be like, you make me feel like this, yeah. you make me do that, you did this, you did that. And it's often in a lot of emotional mm. intelligence kind of workshops, communication and stuff. It's like, you know, this is how I feel. This is how this situation made me yeah. feel. This is what I need. This is what I didn't get. And speaking from that word, I... Yeah. And what you need or don't need rather than the you, which is quite attacking, is a way of having a better conversation. But both sides also need to bear in mind that even if you do that, you can have these feelings of feeling attacked and stuff and be aware of those emotions and to be able to hold them without acting on them and realize this might just be my fight and flight instinct going you know, and if you're really struggling because you're triggered by something to also mention that, go, I might need a time out here. Let me just deal with this trigger so I can come back, you know, and we can talk about it. So it's not just having the communication times, but how you communicate. And if this is something you're struggling, you know, try and find an emotional intelligence communication course. You know, the School of mm-hmm. Life has lots of videos about this with relationships as well, which can be quite humorous as well. So you can kind of find lots of things which apply equally to the master-slave dynamic as it does to the mainstream dynamic. Nice. Yeah, so... Mm. Let me save it. <laughs> this this yeah. will be my question. <laughs> <laughs> You just took the lead, and I was just like, no, "Okay, no, you go you're going to ask it." Uh, so this is kind of like a new phase of, I guess, like these three are kind of like come as a block together. These final three questions on here, but we're going to go. So, what do you see as the difference? You talk about okay, start again. So you talk about masters a lot. I, I've noticed in this that mm-hmm. Craig, kind of, you talk about doms mm-hmm. and masters, and I talk about doms. I'd be intrigued from both of you to hear what you consider the difference between a master and a dom to be. 
or even a sir? For me, they can be completely different or the same thing. Different people will ascribe different titles to what it is they do. And what is important is to check what does master mm-hmm. or what does dom or what does sir or boss mean for you? And how does that relate to what it is I'm looking for? Because we can very easily kind of ascribe that a master is this sort of person or a dom is this sort of person, whereas because we have infinite varieties and the entire idea of master-slave or dom-sub is people choosing the titles that are best for them, we can have completely different different definitions. And that might make things hard and a bit more confusing for people. But the important thing is really just check, well, what does this mean yeah, for you? It, it's quite an interesting thing because everyone seems to have their own definition by this. And you've kind of put me on the spot here because I <laughs> I don't know, because I used to, used to think the difference was in domination styles. I always thought of masters as a much colder more distant more often more violent some kind of domination whereas like and then you'd move to sir and on like the warmer more supportive end you'd have daddies which is what i always went for however the more i've talked to people and the more i've talked like listened to phil's podcast the more i've come to think that's not really true that like you get a lot of warm, supportive masters and cold sirs and distant daddies. It's so it's more complicated. So for me, I kind of taught view them now through the lens of level of submission. So a general dom is just oh, that's a dom I played with. Sir is for me like a dom I play with regularly. A master is someone who holds a very particular place in life. That's really interesting. I I, I used to, I'm sure I talked about it on the podcast before, but I used to be Mm. boss. Like when I was 21, working class boy, and and I'm pretty sure I was the only person at that time using the word boss, like the skinhead. Crew have always mm-hmm. used it, but yeah, in the London scene, like I felt like I was the only one, and it uh, it got suggested to me, and I was like, yeah, actually, that works really, really well. And I used to take great offence to Sir because it always feels like, or always felt to me then, almost like a class warfare kind of thing. That 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 have I been knighted by the Queen? Then don't call me Sir. And then as I got older, I felt like Sir certainly mm-hmm. fit me a lot more. Although in one of my relationships, I'm probably a master, even though I go by sir. And my, I, I find it really interesting in my long-term relationship with James. Like we started off, I referred to myself as his sir and he referred to me as his daddy. And there was like this disparity. And now we have like a parity in our relationship, but I'm still a daddy figure kind of like in the house as like this big bundle of goofy joy. <laughs> Yeah. Rather than the disciplinarian. But yeah, I, I, I find these labels really, really interesting because like everyone in the kink scene has a different idea about what these labels mean. And I think that so often, like in, in my head, like to call somebody master, you should be like, that is an ownership yeah. symbol. And that, that that's like a depth to it. And it always felt really confusing when somebody would message me on Recon and be like, 
master all caps and they'll just go like this is this is too much you need to stop <laughs> like kind of approach to it but 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 it's just i find the idea now of my i can't imagine being being seen by somebody else as a master despite the fact that actually in terms of my behavior yeah it's it, like when I'm, certainly when i'm in a scene and the, uh, like from an ownership perspective with my subs I am a master and th- this is I think one you've shown a beautiful example of how we change and grow and that reflection and how even the titles we can have is ch- will change but, but also the titles that we decide to take for each other are part of our authentic self which is why we might change them or what they mean is so different compared to someone else but why our definition is so important, you know, but, but what, what, what the scene needs these to do is allow for that confusion and difference. Cause it's a way of people expressing their authentic self, even if what my definition of a master might be at this point is different to someone else's. They're both equally valid and beautiful. Yeah. I love the fact that like the kink scene encourages us to change who we are as we grow like so many subs who become switches and then become tops and call themselves tops rather than doms or and then become do- and and th- this fluidity i find really really interesting that's kind of embraced on one level of the kink scene there are some levels of the kink scene that if you're not 100 percent dom they're not interested but i i find that fluidity really interesting i, I i'm now thinking that Maybe later on in life, I will be known as the demon headmaster. <laughs> I, will get, I, will I read those words. <laughs> I'll be I'll, I'll hang around the hypno scene with contacts and insist that everyone refer to me as the demon headmaster. And now I'm remembering why I enjoy those books so much now. <laughs> <laughs> the octopus is coming to get you. <laughs> we should recreate the video game, so it's just a, it's an anus floating on a screen <laughs> by an octopus. <laughs> oh, Having just had a bit of a joke about all of this, like I think one of the things though about being a master is it's quite an intimidating thing. Like the whole 24-7 thing, speaking as a Dom who like I have owned a sub for a number of years we have a fantastic relationship. I have a boyfriend who was my sub, who, as I said, now now we have more of like a daddy kind of thing going on. But the idea of 24-7 is really intimidating as a dom, because I think because there's almost the expectation of being completely mm-hmm. in control. And it's one of the reasons that I I find that I can only submit to somebody that I feel has every possible situation covered, like their their influence has reached every corner of the globe, and then I can submit to them, and which is a real challenge because of what we mentioned earlier. Like that means the only people I find attractive are people that pretend really well that their influence is bigger than it is. But yeah, like how do you think that doms can prepare themselves for being in the driving seat, being in control that much without kind of falling to the shadow 
I, I think there's a few things. One is grow and learn. There's hardly, there's not many of us that have done this lifestyle. So the only way you can learn is by doing it. But, you know, in certain skills and stuff, you can learn, you know, if you want to learn to flog, find someone that can teach you, go to workshops. I've just come from kind of an American kind of big mm -hmm. fetish event called Claw, which is all about workshops where you can learn. You know, my, my website and my coaching that I, I give is to help people to learn and to develop, you know, find a mentor, find another master. But I think the really important thing is that you're never going to learn enough that you're not going to make a mistake. You will make mistakes. And the really important thing here is that you learn from that mistake. Apologize to the slave if you need to. Mm -hmm. And you grow from that experience. There's too many masters whose ego cannot cope with the fact they made the mistake, so they blame everyone but themselves or pretend there wasn't an issue. Have the humility to know you will make mistakes. Apologize when you need to. Learn, reflect, and growth, and create this community of people that teach. If I give a little plug, I'm about to launch kind of like a sort of a chat of server course. community to enable these discussions to happen as well. And that will be going live around Christmas time. You know, so this is one of the resources you can start using. But, you know, there's also others you know and just go talk and find these people and can we just follow up with that like i think that apologizing to a sub is something that's really really difficult to do as you mentioned and i've had to do it a few times i've fucked up uh, my boyfriend ended up accidentally drinking a lot well not drinking inhaling liquid poppers and how do you to be like terminating that scene immediately being able to I, I think a, a good apology has to have both the the apology itself, the stabilizing of the situation, but also some some action to prevent that ha happening again, and being able to agree with a sub what the what a good action is going forward from that, and then being able to accept that maybe that thing that you just fucked up that's not happening again because you've just broke something and and that is now that but there are other uh, other avenues to explore and i think that it's it's an immensely powerful thing to to some subs kind of almost reaching down from your position of power when they've gone and put you on a pedestal and be able to look them in the eye and say look at look at me look at me i'm sorry i didn't mean to do that i love you very much I want to protect you. I want to look after you. And then having a cuddle is one of the most powerful situations I've ever been in as, mm -hmm. as a dom. And an apology is not a weakness. An apology is a sign of strength. And it's a sign that you can share your strength with your sub. Beautifully put. Yeah. I. So much of this comes down to understanding that doing the right thing, the caring thing is often the strongest thing you can do. Like being in a position mm -hmm. of dominance where we often have this idea that we need to project this idea of perfection to be strength. And that is mm. not how it actually works. 
Yeah, plus if you've broken down your subs so that they're mm-hmm. constantly doubting themselves, they're sniveling in a corner in in the bathroom with the shower pouring over them, like a completely broken people because of your actions. Like, that's not strength. It's like, if you like, is it strength to kick a rodent, like, in a cage? Like, that's not strength. Like, strength is, like, David and Goliath. Like, take on somebody bigger than you. Like, but, but like to build somebody up is strength. We are always stronger when we're working together and building building our subs up. And yeah. yeah, just like it always baffles me when I hear about like Dom's abusing subs, just to go like, how small is your dick that you feel like this is how you have to prove yourself as a man? Like, what is going on upstairs? that's sort of giving into that shadow and the shadow is much easier to do the building someone up it's lazy really getting the skill to do that is hard yeah. and there's failures on that path and unfortunately a lot of the community and what we see doesn't really mm-hmm. reflect that and um, in some ways you can say just leadership and alpha males in general in mainstream society don't reflect that either mm. you know and we need to be much more vocal about this sort of heart-shaped master, mm-hmm. this heart-shaped leader is actually where most successful 24-7 relationships have come from. And we need to make this more visible and vo- and vocal and more support around it, but also understand that the, the easiness of the darkness must be avoided because any of us can do what you described, Buster. It's, it's the choice of doing something that's harder that gives something much mm-hmm. better, more rewarding that we need to focus on. So to wrap this up, like to, to, we have a yeah. question to say, if, if somebody's considering this, like living 24-7 as a lifestyle, like if let, let's say we've got an 18, yeah. so often we get, yeah. we get emails in from people who have no experience at all asking questions. So, if, it, it, like, if somebody's at that point where they're like you were uh, are 17 years old, they've had the internet for two days and they've gone like, what is this amazing thing? What questions should they be asking themselves? I think it's how much experience do I actually have at the moment? <laughs> what would I like to experience? And what are the first small steps I can go about starting that? With someone that's just starting out on the BDS theme, I would very much urge you to start with maybe sessions first and then build up to longer periods. It's very strange, but even a weekend with someone can be very hard when you're completely losing control and it's nothing like the fantasy. (laughs) So you need to build up slowly and slowly build up the experience to say this is what I, I'm looking for. A really good example is it can you could get really hot looking at someone in a sleep slack and say, I want to be mm. in here for 12 hours. You might only last an hour the first time you yeah. do it, depending on how much you sweat and stuff. <laughs> but that gives you the experience to go, oh, do I really want 12 hours? Perhaps I want two next, or that's not for me. Perhaps I like rope bondage more. And you can work through some of this stuff. And same with, let's say, looking for masters. There were certain masters which really like to take newbies on and give you the experiences Mm -hmm. to figure out what it is you want. 
look for those sorts of people, you know, and what we said at the start or in the middle about people to avoid, look out for these. Yeah, I will say on that note, I've seen a lot of people who try and get the reputation for taking on newbies. One thing to look out for that is, do they have a social circle that is nothing but newbies? Or do they have a social circle including other dominants of good standing? Yes. Because I've seen a lot of people who they basically take on newbies because they don't have the experience to see their bullshit. So I will say, like, make Mm. sure, like, you look at their social circle, look at who they interact with, actually get wider soundings on if they are actually a good person to start with. Genuinely, I have never had a problem with somebody contacting my friends on recon to go, is this person who they say they are? And am I safe? And like, I don't think there's any, any experience Don would have a problem with you hitting up mutual friends to ask. And I think that it's one of those things that like, in terms of, we never used to meet people online. Like the whole idea of apps and everything like that to meet people online is such a new thing, but usually you'd hang out in the same social circles for a long time and everyone would know one another. And now we have this online space where it seems reasonable these days to put on your profile, not really engaged in the scene, big red flag, (laughs) to go like, right, okay, the, the... we have to be able to carry, like, if I'm getting tied up by somebody, I have to be able to reference their character against multiple people that I trust to yeah. go, like, if not, it, it, like, if all of the people he, it, this guy is hanging out with, I wouldn't trust, if none of them, I would trust them to tie me up, then why would I trust this guy? And it's worth saying, I'm 42 years old and I still Mm -hmm. ask for references. And when I go and see someone for the first time, someone gets the name and address of the person with the recon profile. If you're Mm. trying to have a meeting with someone and they don't want to give you this information or they're telling you you're wrong, avoid them. Because that is perfectly normal to do. I'd also say, as an 18-year-old, it's probably you still have this shame mm-hmm. about this and you can't speak with that many people about it. So slowly building up a network is useful. And that might be online at first, but, you know, go to some of the events like in London. The yes. place is closed, isn't it? So yeah. it kind of mm-hmm. probably the Leather Social and Backstreet, which is more, for instance, in Berlin, Crowdgeist, which is a place of more serious play. They actually have some nights which are specifically for under-35s for the younger crowd. Mm. So there are these things that are kind of there for you. You know, you might be a bit further away from them, but, you know, you can try and link in with these and having a supportive network yeah. is, yeah. is a people, really good to help you. People in big cities. So there's in Manchester and London, there's Collard, which is mm-hmm. great for newbies. Oh, yeah. There's SM Games, Boys and Sirs in London. Of course, there's a, in Manchester, there's the Eagle Bar, which is like mainly frequented by kinky people. There's the Manchester Rubbermen and Manchester Leathermen, who are a resoundingly cool group of people in general. There's all these kind of social groups that you don't necessarily like my big secret was always I was Mr. Leather UK, but actually I'm not primarily a leather fetishist. Yeah. It's it's a means to an end for me. <laughs> and yeah, like that was something I realized over the course of my title year, just to go, ah, yeah, this yeah. is a community that I like. You don't have to be 
clad in leather or totally into rubber or but generally people who are into 24 7 lifestyle are probably going to be at the leather social <laughs> people who are into fishing and and getting dirty and piss and scat and stuff like that go to the <laughs> rubber social <laughs> and, and it's, it's, it's probably worth saying that, you know, when you're building into the community, so let's say with me with the Berlin scene here or in London, sometimes you do want to buy some fetish gear. But with the master slave lifestyle, it might be you have no interest in this whatsoever, and that's also fine. Mm. You know, buying the leather gear or, you know, something cheaper like sports gear or something pup-like if you're young, just so you can go out and get to know people is, is a good thing. But it might be it's not your kink, and you just want to be naked in front of mm-hmm. someone, and that's that's fine. And, it, you know, when, when we're saying go on in the scene, it's just a way of you can make connections with people. Mm. It might be that you never want to do rubber or leather or anything else, and you just want to find a master to serve and do that as well. It, well, you don't even like to come along to the leather or rubber socials. You don't need leather or rubber. Like if 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 you're an admirer of like a, a lot of doms these days, seem to be but like leather is back in in a big way. And it's like if you want to come and meet meet doms, like the the socials are a great place to do it. You know that you're surrounded by set, like by a lot of people. It's a safe environment. You can meet people. You can then go out for a coffee from there, and you've got at least half an hour's conversation to verify this person is not completely insane. Yeah, yes, that's a really nice point. You know, meeting co- mm-hmm. someone for coffee first, yeah. and especially people that want to welcome newbies into the scene, they will be more than yeah. happy to do that. And if you have someone telling you to f off and are you wasting <laughs> my time, they're probably best. Yeah. To I have never hooked up with the sub. I will always go for coffee or have a drink or whatever first so you can get to know each other a little bit because like that's how you you can't have an effective like even master slave scene without trust and I think what so many people crave is the trust but you have to put in the work to develop that and before you've ever had a scene getting to know them, getting to know so you can anticipate what their desires might be so that you can be, you can play your role even in that one-night stand scene is an immensely useful oh, thing. Oh, yeah. That's what well those doing your sanity yeah, check. Yeah, I think what, what I'm hearing overall is finding a dom that is willing to go at a slow pace and just take time can be a wonderful thing for for a beginner. Like... Yeah. Yeah. I, I, can mm-hmm. I add one more thing? Because I, I realized you're talking about the beginner thing. When I started to make this mm-hmm. change to doing session to really looking for 24 7, you do go through a bit of a shock because you have so mm-hmm. much expectation with that. <laughs> and, you know, there might be really intense things and stuff, but you might just find yourself going to the supermarket with a master and pushing the trolley. It can actually be much more boring. It might be that it's bringing up far mm-hmm. more emotional issues. And so you might have to go on a journey of reflection going, is this really for me? And this is when your ego can become very important as well. Do I want to let go of my ego more in order to serve someone? So it might be you go through a bit of a transition and a journey there to figure out, do I really want it? And if the answer is no, you want to remain doing it in a session or play with it in a softer 
side, that's more, that's fine. You know, do what makes you happy. But it might be that you need a bit of a break and then you do want to go back and do the yeah. 24-7 as well. So so there is this transition and it can be a little mm-hmm. hard to let go of some of the expectations to realize it can be a, a bit more boring because it is about a life and life is not intense yeah. all the time. I think that was the first piece I read from your blog was about how boring you found the cage when you were <laughs> yes. and you go this is my fetish and has been my fetish since I was a child and now I'm doing it and it's boring that's why yeah. meditation's so yeah. good if you like and, <laughs> and just on a note of this it's all I think it's worth saying it's also worth saying you can try it and find it's not for you like I speak from experience, I used to think I wanted twenty four seven until I actually got a partner who was also my dominant, and it does not work for me. Like I need it to be segmented away. So it's always it's okay if you do it and you find you can't. Like yes, very much. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, same from a dom perspective, just like. I keep meaning like, oh, we should do a weekend session, but I'm greedy. And like, I, w- when I've got a naked sub in front of me, it's like, well, there's only one way this is going to go. And I have no <laughs> self-control. <laughs> and then it's just like, right, I've come. No, you're not getting to come. I've come. <laughs> and then it's like the rest of like the idea of a weekend session then becomes real long. <laughs> and it's just like, it's, it's a real challenge from both sides to do something like a weekend session. A weekend is a hell of a long time. If you get somebody's place on Friday night and you're not leaving till Sunday night. That is a long time to be in that space. Yeah. And it's intense. This is where the service mindset comes in as well. So, you know, with my ex master, some of my happiest moments outside of the sex or the intensity of a session, he used to love cooking and I would be in the kitchen and I would be peeling the potatoes or chopping the onions you know, doing all of the grunt work, which isn't fun for the cook and just allowing it to flow in the way he wanted. And I just used to love doing that, you know, Mm. and with another master, it was learning how to fold his shirts in the way Mm -hmm. that he really wanted and taking lots of pleasure from it. So when you're talking about the 24 seven, it's often in these service things, the butler thing, you know, and having, having the joy from that you know, which is not really, which is often in our fantasies. But strange enough for people that really do want to live this as a lifestyle, you often find you surprised. It's some of the more enriching experiences. Yeah, that's beautiful. Mm. So I feel we've covered a lot of ground tonight. This has been really enlightening. I've really enjoyed having you on. So if people want to learn more, where can they find you? What, you know, I know you've got a blog, a podcast. So you can go to masterslavelifestyle.com and that is the blog and website that also links to the Patreon membership community where you can do workshops, early access to the podcast and very soon join the chat community. And if you're just interested in the podcast, just search for Master Slave Lifestyle mm-hmm. in the a podcast is not of your choice and you should find me. Brilliant. And so thank you very much for coming on. Uh, Thank you for having me. I've really enjoyed this. Great conversation. 
So yes, thank you for coming on. As usual, we are the Kinky Boys podcast and listeners, I hope you have found this very enriching. And as always, play safe.